Well, good morning, everyone. This morning's passage is Romans chapter 10. We are going to examine the passage as a whole. Uh, Before I quite go into that, this is one part that I forgot to bring up uh, regarding the conference. Uh, I, I did it in Sunday school, but I wanted to repeat this. Thank you, Grace Baptist Church, for sponsoring the young men to be able to go to the conference this past weekend. Thank you. We are very much appreciative of that, of you taking your finances that we ultimately know our gods and pouring them back into the next generation. This should be true for all aspects of our lives, not just our finances, but that is one part of that reality. So we are so thankful that Grace Baptist Church gave $300 towards some of us men being able to go to the conference. Thank you. Our passage today is Romans 10. We are going to examine the failings of the church, the need for practicing righteousness by presenting the gospel outwardly in our local community. We are going to see how the world has, as a whole, neglected this text. The church has distorted it. Romans 1 to 8, the church will sometimes still preach on these passages. But when it comes to Romans 9 to 16, well, when was the last time you heard these passages preached through? Maybe some of you 50 years ago, but they have been heavily neglected. I know I've never heard a sermon series on them except for what I can find on YouTube. Never in my entire life growing up. Romans 9 to 16 are very nationalistic. They are very local community focused. Everything that the modern globalist Marxist agenda hates is basically in these chapters. That's why we see churches neglecting them in order to please man. And then we now see the fruit over time of what this does. It leads the church into the state it is. So with that being said, as always, we need to approach these texts in humility. And I'm going to try and show you this morning how the church has failed in order that we might repent, in order that we might depend on grace to the acting of faith to start building strong biblical communities once again and that the gospel might capture the thoughts words and deeds of our people let's pray father we are so thankful for this time that we have to gather this morning and worship you almighty god who is righteous holy King above all kings, strong in arm, 
fortresses of men collapse at your hand and the kingdom of God rises with simply a word. What strength and power and might you have, Lord Jesus Christ. We are so thankful that we are able to come and celebrate here freely in our nation still at this time. We are so thankful that we can walk from the church house to the church over here, publicly displaying the meeting of fellow believers in our time in our town. We are so thankful for the mundane things that you have provided for the, the church. You provide both the spiritual health and the mundane, Lord. Both these things you have made to be good. And both of these things we have often distorted, neglected, and it's because we have neglected your word. And so, Lord, as we come to the text this morning, let us not neglect it. Lord, I pray particularly for my brother, Ron, whose surgery is later this week. We know, Lord, that he has battled with cancer and other things for the last while. We are so thankful that you brought Ron and Evelyn to this church just under a year ago. We are so thankful for the witness that your word has been to them in their life. The growth in their faith and understanding. We are so thankful for that, Lord. We pray now for Ron, for strength. We pray for thy kingdom come, thy will be done, God. We pray for Evelyn, for strength. We pray that they'd fully depend on you, Lord, in this time. We pray that we would be able to be there for both of them, in thought, word, and deed, Lord, as active body of believers. Fully depend on your grace to do so. We pray also for Collins, that is, Simon's niece. We give thanks, Lord, that you are restoring her health. We pray that as she grows physically, she would grow spiritually. That as she comes into her own, that she would acknowledge Christ as Lord and Savior. And that it would captivate all aspects of her life. And that she would walk in a righteous manner, prayerfully, in thanksgiving. We are so thankful for looking back just under a year ago, how you started bringing pieces together that you had laid in Grace Baptist Church almost 150 years ago. That you are bringing this church to be salt and light in a time of darkness and that we can reflect on the saints who have gathered here in the past many with very different theological bands Lord 
But they gathered here for one purpose, and that was to honor and glorify Jesus Christ. Not to debate and fight with one another. Though debate is good, there is a time and place for that. Those things need to be sorted out. But they came here to glorify the Lord. Let our hearts be broken, Lord. So that we come to a place of such contrition that inspired these men and women 150 years ago to plant this church in the first place. Let's not take in vain the things that we have been handed down. Let's not take in vain what you have done over the last 150 years, Lord Jesus. And Lord, for any prayer requests that I have forgotten or that were unspoken, I know Ruth uh, brought something up and I'm sorry, but I'm forgetting, Lord, you know what it is. Lord, we pray for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we would walk in words and deeds and in our thoughts more and more like Christ and become more and more like your Son for the purpose of his glory and honor. And Lord, we pray now that as we come to this text, we are going to see how we have failed this morning. We are going to have to repent this morning. Bring us to contrition. Bring us to repentance. In order that your word may go out to our brothers of both the flesh, our kinsmen, and also those surrounding us and other nations. Lord, I pray that as I come to the text, as I am expositing it, by your Spirit, give me insight and wisdom of how to approach it. And Lord, anything that is not from you this morning, I pray that it would fall on deaf ears. But you alone, Christ, would be glorified, and your word alone would be magnified. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Romans chapter 10, starting at verse 1. <clears throat> Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. When we read this text, we should think back to chapter 9. So have your Bibles open to chapter 9 as well. There is a parallel running between the first few verses in chapter 9 and chapter 10. So let's examine chapter 9, verse 1 to 5. It says, this is Paul speaking, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh, 
They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. This is where we need to make this distinction. Paul is speaking to the brothers of the faith in both chapters, but when he speaks of his brothers in the flesh, he is speaking about fellow Israelites that did not convert to Christ. Those are the ones that he's desiring to be saved. In chapter 10, when he begins in verse 1 by saying brothers, he is no longer talking about brothers of the flesh. He is talking about brothers of the spirit or those who have been born again in Christ. But he is addressing them about his brothers in the flesh. Now, some of these brothers in the spirit would include his same race, his same Israelite heritage. Again, I two weeks ago defined what does race mean in biblical context. It's not talking about black and white per se. It's talking about your tribe, those people. For me, it'd be the Frontenac people. That is my race. That is my people whom I grew up with. Many of them who do not know the gospel. He's talking of these brothers of his faith and his brothers of the flesh. And this is what he says, my heart's desire. So he says, brothers, speaking of the faith, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, the them being the brothers of the flesh, is that they might be saved. And one might say, should we not desire all to be saved? And yeah, of course, every, we desire all to be saved. But that's not the point that Paul is getting at here. A man's heritage, a man's kin, a man's flesh, blood, his soil that he grew up in, these things matter. They are created by God. And they are created to be good. Things like Gnosticism have taught us that the flesh does not matter. Things like Gnosticism say that we are a soul trapped in a body waiting to get out of this mess. These are false teachings that have entered the church. His kinsmen are close to him. He loves them dearly. His own flesh and blood. And if we turn to Acts 13, we will see that even though Paul was commissioned to preach to the Gentiles by God, he does not neglect preaching to his own kinsmen. Let's turn to Acts 13, verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, 
Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout woman of high standing and leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them, and went onward to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. What's my point? Paul is instructed to preach to the Gentiles by Christ. And he never neglects that duty. That is his duty. That is his chief goal. Peter was chiefly sent to the Jews. And Paul was chiefly sent to the Gentiles. But every opportunity he gets, he is preaching to the brothers of his flesh. Every opportunity he is preaching to his own kin. This is not to say or speak against missions outside of our nation, our region, our country, whatever you want to put in there. That is not my point here. And I'm not speaking of our own race, our own kinsmen in a black-white distinction, necessarily. The scriptures say it even goes deeper than that. There is a deeper connection of blood and soil. And this connection goes all the way back to what we talked about in Genesis 2 regarding Adam. That he was placed in a specific place made from the soil of that land. Let's look at Genesis 2 for a moment again. Genesis 2 Verse 7. The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. There he put the man whom he had formed. Eden is a territory. The garden is in the eastern part of the territory. There's a significance of why in the East, but we won't, we're not going to go into that today. But the point is, this will always be where God formed Adam. Always. This will always be his soil. This will always be his home. In some way, even though we are sojourners passing through, there's something significant about that. And for Paul, here in our text, he will always love his fellow Israelite brothers in a special way. 
And that is important. In such a way, as he says in Romans 9, that he would be cursed and cut off for them. He doesn't say that regarding the Gentiles. He says that regarding his fellow kinsmen. Deep affection for those of the same blood and soil. And modernity will try and pervert this love. To try and make it say, well, if you don't love everyone equally, that means you just hate other races and that you're racist. This is an absurd Marxist globalist claim. Paul loves the Gentiles. It's evident. He's speaking the gospel to them. It's evident. But this special kind of love that he wished he were accursed and cut off for is reserved for his fellow brothers of the flesh. That is not a bad thing. That is a good, holy thing. And yet, if you speak of this in our modern day, you're racist or whatever, fill in the blank. That's a lie from hell. Okay? We should love our kindred. We should love our people. And I understand we have a diversity of kindred and a diversity of people. And even for myself, again, I'm not just even talking about me being a white person. I'm talking about my heart breaks for those in Frontenac area. Because I understand there are not strong churches there. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. I will always love my fellow Frontenacs north of Kingston. South of Seven. (laughs) Just putting that in there. North of Kingston, south of Seven. (laughs) In a special way. I bring that up. There's a joke about living north of Seven, back home. But we're not going to go into that. (laughs) But, north of Kingston, south of Seven. And yet our society has taught us to pick up and move away. Don't plant your roots. Get a job and make lots of money. Go wherever you need to do that. Have you noticed that the going out and making the rest of the world like the garden, that was not with the intention of to not return to the garden of Eden. But then God, because of Adam's sin, because of his neglect of his primary home, his primary place that God had gave him to steward. God cast him out. Because he neglected the first thing that God gave him, which was Eden and his wife and his family. He neglected the very first gifts that God had given him. Eve was deceived. She ate of the fruit. And then instead of defending his wife, defending his land from this invader, 
that came in and deceived Eve? He went along with it. And the consequences was sin, banishment from his home. Our kinsmen, those who we grow up with, the ones who we share soil with, our ethnos, Again, this does not mean you hate other groups. It doesn't mean you don't preach the gospel to them. And I use hate in the modern sense as we were debating on the meaning of hate in our Sunday school. But I use hate in the modern sense. You don't wish them damnation. No. But there is a focus that we need to have on the people here in our communities for the gospel message. That needs to be our focus. Now we come to verse 2. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. He's, this is Paul referring to the Jews. But not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's Righteousness. What's Paul's point? I love my kinsmen so much that I wish I could die in their place. But they don't see. They don't see. And it breaks me that they don't see. They're ignorant of righteousness. They walk in wickedness. Don't you understand, this grieves Paul to the point where even though the Jews constantly, and we'll see this reacts when we get there in our Sunday school, the Jews are constantly the ones persecuting him. More than the Gentiles. His own kinsmen. And he continues to go back to them again and again and again. Because of this love he has for them. Because of the love he has for his nation and for his people. And yet, he loves the Gentiles as well. But a different kind of love. A brotherly love of the faith, but a different one for his kinsmen. These are both good things, by the way. I will always love all of you, my sheep. In a very special way. Because we share the same faith. But I will always love the people of Frontenac area. In a very specific way. That I can't love you. That's not bad. That's a good thing. Hold precious to both kinds of love. We have been deceived to think that this kind of love. That we can't love our kinsmen in this special way. Because it's racist. I mean, just fill in the blank. Just, just fill in the blank. Whatever bigoted, patriarchal, like, throw it in there. And yet, we see Paul's groaning. That these, and through action, that his brothers would know and come to know Christ. 
But he also is aware that it is only through Christ that they can be saved. And he's not copping out on that. As the other side of things, we often, because of these close relationships, will diminish or portray the gospel to something other than it actually is. Paul does not do that here. He does not. It is because he loves them that he presents the gospel to them fully and truly, time and time again, after stoning, beatings, and eventually to his death. He does this time and time again. Why? Because the only thing that matters, and when it comes to salvation, there is only the blood of one man that matters. And that's Jesus Christ. As it states in verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. It's not eliminating what Paul said in Romans 9. It's not eliminating what he said in the first few verses of chapter 10. But he realizes that even though his brothers were given the promise, the prophets, the law, all these things, without Christ, they cannot be saved. Without the true gospel, they cannot be saved. Listen to me this morning, sheep. Thank you, your brothers, your sisters, your sons, daughters, parents. Without the gospel, they are damned. Do you love them like Paul loved his fellow kinsmen? If that is true, go to them again and again and again and again and even be killed by them. That is how we should be presenting the gospel to our kinsmen. Many Israelites are lost without Christ. They were given the promise, the laws, the prophets, and yet many of them repented and became the first Christians, along with many of the Gentiles. They became the first Christians. We, we have a heritage there that's being passed on. And yet, as we dealt with in the end of chapter 9, God makes it very clear that the true Israel is not just from the nation of Israel. Paul is really spelling this out now. But that does not neglect our love for our kinsmen. And in fact, that should spur us forward to love them with the gospel even more. Verse 5, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does not do, does the commandments, sorry, I'm going to read that again because I messed it up. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, 
Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Faith, righteousness, and love for God has never been about checking off boxes. It has always been about a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. The one who lives out a Psalm 1 faith, who meditates on the word of the Lord day and night, and it therefore comes out in his mouth and is sealed in his heart, as our verse 8 says. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. And when this is true, this will also come out in our words and our deeds. But the words and deeds are not the starting point. It's a heart issue. Verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. Again, it's a heart issue. Believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. The law of Moses had a starting point and an ending point. But the law of grace, the covenant of grace, has always been the current that ran under the surface and held all other covenants together. And it has only ever been the covenant of grace that saves a man. Blood and soil are not sufficient to save. The modern Jews are not saved because of some sort of special blood claim. And in fact, most of them have Canaanite ancestry, and there's a lot of people that are more Israelite-blooded than they are. That's a side point. If you don't have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it does not matter. It does not matter. But does that say those things aren't important? No, they are important. In fact, Paul grieves over for his kinsmen constantly. But they are second to Christ. Second, always second. They must be put in their place, but they cannot be ignored. Cannot be ignored. If you don't have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it does not matter what race, ethnicity you are. You will be damned to hell. It depends on grace through faith. If you are not a true sheep, Christ will not let you pass through the gate. As John 10 proclaims, I know my sheep and my sheep know my voice when I call. Verse 10 of our Romans. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord 
will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Truly, one who proclaims with his mouth and believes in his heart and calls on the Lord to be saved. And that, that last word there, calling on the name of the Lord to be saved, means that there is acknowledgement of sin and repentance occurring. That is very key. There's acknowledgement of sin, there is repentance, there is a calling upon the name of the Lord, and there there is promise of grace. Everyone who is called and truly believes will be saved. Every other man will be damned. Therefore, repent and be baptized in the name of the Father and in the Son and the Holy Ghost. Call upon the name of Christ to be saved. He is the only way to the Father. I speak this to you, my sheep, as we have a church visible, but not all of the church visible are a part of the church invisible. And what I mean by that is the church visible is those who you see gathering in the church buildings, praising God. But not of those people always, not all of them are always saved, actually. They're just going through the, the motions. I say this to you, and I will try to bring this up more and more as I used to, and I realize I've been faltering on this. Forgive me. Repent and be baptized. Call upon the name of Christ to be saved. My desire is that every single man and woman that calls this church their home will be saved and be transformed by the gospel in thought, word, and deed. Christ owns all nations of this earth. All of them have put under his dominion. So he can bring the gospel to whatever nation he desires and to whatever people he desires. And yet in his grace, he brought those of us already into faith, those of us here, into a deep relationship with himself in order to proclaim his purpose. And it is by this means that the gospel will spread primarily through the preaching of the word by the church, by the Christians, as it states in verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. What is this a calling for? And I use the word calling. What is this asking of us? Our duty not only is to present the gospel, but it is to train disciples and to train others to go out and preach the gospel as well. 
Often, we proclaim the first part and neglect the second. We'll even say, be saved. Hear the word of God, be saved. But there is a duty to train up the next generation. That is in the text here. How will the next generation hear if we neglect to raise up elders among ourselves? How will the next generation know that Christ is Lord if we don't continue to pray, bring up godly men to preach at the pulpit? There won't be. And we are seeing that now. We are seeing the fruits of a generation after generation neglect of these duties. And we are now bearing witness to this. This does not happen over time. We are in the days after generations of neglect of raising up strong Christian men and women in the faith. So we need to repent and we need missionaries, pastors, teachers. Not only that, but we also need, and this is what was talked about at the conference a lot, the other 80%, the workers. Well, I can't preach, I can't teach. But what I can do is I can build buildings. I can hand out flyers. I can pray for my pastor. There is much that the lay people can do to help building the kingdom of God. Much they can do. But we need to raise up leaders for sure. <laughs> okay? And if you're raising up good men, strong men, and when I say good men, not because of themselves, but because of the work of Christ in them, that sanctification, that bringing the word to them, convicting them of their sin, strengthening them, tutoring them, mentoring them, if we're doing this correctly as a church, in faithfulness, prayerfully, as a church, then this community will be transformed. But only if we do so in faith and prayerfulness and abiding by the teachings that have been laid out before us. We need the gospel to be proclaimed first to the people here before we send the missionaries out. We need to get our own lives together. Note that there is a flow throughout the scriptures in Romans. Romans 5 dealt with the fact that we are saved by grace through faith and not by works. Romans 6 then deals with the first issue that Christians need to deal with, and that's controlling their members, getting their households in order, 
getting their spouses and their families. And seven goes on to that. Then we get to eight. Then we get to the theology. Then we get to those points. Then we get to nine. But not without six before that. Not without seven. Not without dealing with the problem in our own hearts and sinfulness first. And we don't get to Romans 10. Proclaiming the gospel message to others. If we have neglected Romans 6, 7, 8, and 9 before it. So before we can do that, we have to master the basic things. And the only way we can do that is in faith in Jesus Christ, abiding to his word. For he is the vine, and we are the branches. We are fully dependent on that. We cannot proclaim the gospel message until those things are in order. And in fact, I will say this as a man that has many sins that God has laid to rest at the foot of his cross. It is because of those sins being dealt with that makes me want to proclaim the gospel message. It is because God has renewed me that I want to preach here. No other reason. And I will encourage you in that way that once you start working on family, yourself, in a deep, earnest way, the gospel will flow from your mouth. You won't even think twice about it. Your words will be transformed by the gospel. Your actions will be transformed by the gospel. Because you didn't skip the earlier chapters to get to the end. We must, as a church, deal with our immediate church body, the sins in this church, in our own families, in ourselves, our children. We must deal with those things first. This comes back to the point. Paul went to his kinsmen first. He did not skip over them. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. He is now speaking of his kinsmen of the flesh. For, I, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Paul has preached to them time and time again. And yet he still returns to his kinsmen time and time again. His passion for them, his love for them. He doesn't neglect his duty to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He never neglects that. God has asked him of that. But he keeps returning to this spot. Verse 19, but I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. 
with a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. We ask why we are in the state we are today. The exact same reason why the rest of the world is on fire. Christ's hand of grace has been long extended. And we do not desire it as a nation. Why? And I'll speak of North America. Because most of the North American church has been handed over to a debased mindset. Like the Jews in the time. They are somehow special. Do not think that they need to obey the commandments of God. We've been handed over like Nebuchadnezzar. We created our own laws in our own kingdom. As Hosea says, that we established princes that the Lord did not appoint, and princes that he does not know. But there is hope. And this is what I learned in some sense in a new way this past weekend at this conference. There is a small remnant of faithful Christians, faithful pastors, faithful sheep, many of them not much older than myself, that are unashamed of the gospel. We dealt with this in Romans 1 when we began this journey in Romans together. Are we ashamed of the gospel? Paul says, I am unashamed of the gospel. Then why do we live as if we are ashamed of it? Why do we not have our marriages in order? And I'm not saying this is something that happens overnight. This is again, back to Paul saying, he goes back again and again and again and again to his kinsmen. He has to go back to them constantly. You will have to go back to your marriage, to your children, to your family constantly and deal with the gospel and sin. Constantly. You will have to do that. And the more you work on yourself, your own marriage, your own family, the greater zeal you will have like Paul. That you are so grieved to the point, so grieved that you cannot think about wasting a moment building the kingdom of God and why you need to do that instead of building your own kingdom. You will not waste a moment. For what kingdom are our eyes fixed on? 
And I say our specifically as your pastor. I say our. That includes myself. If it were the kingdom of God, we would be working to build that by first dealing with our marriages, our children, the sin within our own congregation, controlling our own members, raising up the next generation of leaders in our own congregations, raising up fathers and mothers to do their duties. These are these are simple things, and yet we fail at them constantly. Prayerfully discerning, proclaiming truth to our kin, to our kinsmen, fellow countrymen, those of the same blood and soil, not neglecting those who don't share those in the process, but not skipping over those immediately in our realms, in our close spheres, first and foremost. We cannot skip over them. Yet many of us are focused on other kingdoms before we first focus on the kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as in, is, is in heaven. It is so important that we understand that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are righteous, holy, marvelous in all ways. You have long extended your hand of grace to this nation. And she has rejected it for wealth, personal gain, sex, drugs, pridefully in arrogance, thinking she could whore herself to other gods and still be called a faithful bride. We are by no means worthy in any way to receive the grace that you extend to us by your right arm. For long we have been ashamed of the gospel. Long we have whored ourselves like the nation of Israel. And we are now receiving our due punishment. Have mercy on us, O Christ our King, for your name's sake, so that your word may remain true, that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But let it remain true, Lord. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our iniquities and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can't even figure out the basic things, Lord, without your grace. Our own families, our children, controlling of our members, pride, anxiety, <coughs> wavering. We have forsaken our kin and loved the foreigner first. We deserve your wrath. We pray for your intercession, Christ. Break every heart in Grace Baptist Church. Return the grace 
to Grace Baptist Church. We beg you to destroy our visions, our wills and kingdoms. We are so undeserving of your grace and mercy. We truly are, again, we, Lord, myself included, we truly are a stiff-necked generation. Your kingdom come, your will be done, Father, in earth as it is in heaven. Often we don't know what to pray, so let your spirit intercede on our behalf for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. For he is undeserving of such wretched creatures as ourselves. Depart not from us, Christ. Hear our cry, Lord. Let the wicked perish and preserve the righteous for the sake of your promise found in Christ Jesus. Cut the thorns away from us, Lord. Give me wisdom to guide the sheep as their shepherd. Break me, Lord, so that they might be saved. As David interceded on behalf of his kingdom, as Paul wished to intercede on behalf of his kin, as Stephen rose up for his fight against the Jews, who are the enemies of the gospel. Let us also rise unashamedly of the gospel. In order that your word might be fulfilled, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. We pray that this would be fulfilled in our time. So too at the present time there would be a remnant chosen by grace. We pray this for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our King, and our Redeemer. Amen.